Welcome to Market Chat, bringing clarity to the clutter. Sponsored by Government Marketing University. Here's today's moderator, Luann Brosman. Welcome to Market Chat, bringing clarity to the clutter in government marketing with hot topics, best practices, exciting guests, and innovative ideas. Market Chat is an ongoing series that provides an open and collaborative interaction between government and industry to ensure that our listeners walk away empowered with greater knowledge on how to better market to their targeted federal, state, and local audiences. I'm really excited about what we're talking about on this episode of Market Chat. We're talking all about task orders. What are they? How do you market to them? How do you win them? And why are they so important? To understand what task orders are, we must first really understand these details about them. And we've got the right audience today to help us with that. You know, we often see companies spending so much time and money on winning government IDIQ contracts, but then they fall short on winning the task orders. And it's really imperative that you have a solid task order response in place. But where do you start? Uh, One of our guests today shared it best with us the other day, Judy, um, about winning an an IDIQ is like a fishing license. Task orders are the fish that you catch. And I thought that really summed it up perfectly. And I know that Judy's going to share more with us today. So that is the focus of this episode of Market Chat. And as always, we have an esteemed group of extremely knowledgeable individuals with many years of experience who will share their insight on this topic. I'd like to first introduce them to you, and then we'll jump right into our program. We have Joanne Wojtek, who is such a a strong supporter of Government Marketing University and all of the industry on a whole. Joanne is the program director of NASA Soup. Joanne, welcome as always. Thank you. Next, we have with us Nate Nash. Nate is new to the market chat, um, and we're excited to hear from him today. He is the executive vice president with GovTribe. So, Nate, welcome. Thank you. And next, we have Judy Bratt, who is the CEO of Summit Insight. A lot of you are familiar with her as well, because she truly is a voice around the beltway of helping all of us with our our government marketing. So we're gonna really talk today about some key takeaways that every company needs to be doing to win more task orders. As I said earlier, it's not just about winning the IDIQ. It's really about that's when the real work begins and you start winning those task orders. So I'm gonna jump right in um, and start asking some questions of Joanne Wojtek because I tell you, Joanne, we could ask you questions for days and days and days, um, but we only have an hour. So I'm going to start right out. And Joanne, tell us, what is a task order? Okay, well, um, let me start with explaining in in terms of three possible ways for the government to buy IT products and services um, for the most part. Um, There are, I'm sure, other ways. But the the one way everybody is pretty much aware of is the GSA uh, Advantage and GSA um, Supply Schedules. um, And... I'll leave that for GSA to talk about. <laughs> um, the other two ways are, are get it going out and um, with a d- defined requirement that has very specific parameters. You, government just wants to buy a product or service. They put it out there, they get a contract, and then you, you run off and you, you, you um, fulfill that contract and get paid. Um, the third way is, is, what, is where task orders and delivery orders come into place. And that's um, where the government wants to have a contractual relationship with industry, either with one or multiple companies, um, and, and wants to set it up so that, those, so that the government can use those contracts to obtain the products and services when they need them, as they need them, without having to define that fully upfront. Um, and they do so by issuing orders, again, task orders or delivery orders against those, that contract or those sets of contracts um, so that um, they don't have to go out and do a whole new contract every time they want to buy a service or buy a, or, or handle a requirement. Um, and, and so while it might be more efficient at times to go just to a schedule or just to, to a contract, the ability to use a, a, a um, IDIQ, as we talk about IDIQs, and, and do these orders provides the flexibility for the government to, to cut down the procurement time to create a requirement take a requirement and create the, um, the need, have it fulfilled and pay for. Great, that's you know the beginning of great information that you're gonna share today. You know, just in case our listeners, you know, we have a lot of listeners that are new to this government marketing space. So tell us, you know, what is an IDIQ? 
So um, an IDIQ is an indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity contract. Um, it, um, soup is, is one of the uh, older ones of these. We've been around since 93. Um, that was a question I had for you is how long has soup been around? Because yes. you've been around as long as soup, right? You were there yes. from so, day one of soup. I was, uh, I was involved in the background in the early days of, of soup um, as the technical, uh, one of the technical leads for, for soup one back in 92 and awarded in 93. Um, we were the first GWAC government-wide acquisition contract ever in the government. And, and IDIQ is a type of, of contract where, as, as a, is, is where essentially task orders come into place. The contract is set up not with, as it says, no definite quantity, no definite um, uh, delivery time. It is set up to be a, a open-ended contract for a, a given time period, usually five to 10 years. Um, depending on, on how the agency sets up the contract, um, usually with some sort of cap to it, but uh, but the cap is less important. Um, usually no minimum, although you know I think there's a twenty five dollar minimum on some of them, like uh, like we have now. So uh, we get down to what do you get when you get a contract? Uh, you get twenty five dollars. So um, <laughs> that's that's the starting point, um, and and hopefully much more as it goes along. Uh, right. So so that's that's the basic idea is to is to set up a parameter, a scope of, of the contract, a time limit for the contract, um, how it, the, the contract itself will set up, how the ordering is done, who can order, and, and provide that, that framework under which an agency, if it's, an, if it's a government-wide contract or the agency for which the contract is set up, because some IDIQs are government-wide like, like soup, some are specific to an agency. Um, there's a, a lot more of those out there. Um, but, but that's all set up within the contract itself. And then agencies can do their orders against that contract. Do you know, uh, I, don't, I hope I don't stump you here because I didn't ask you this before today, but how many uh, average annual task orders are coming out of NASA soup? We handle about, I think we're at about 60,000. Um, oh, that's a lot. Orders per, uh, yeah, per year of orders and mods. Um, Bear in mind that soup is 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 a mixture of products and services. So um, the the average order size is is somewhere in the hundred to hundred fifty thousand dollar range. Um, whereas if you're dealing with a contract uh, like Alliance, uh, another GWAC, um, they do a lot fewer orders, but they're they're service orders and they tend to be much larger. Soup also has very large orders because we do have service orders, but because we have a mixture, we have five dollar orders and we have. Hundred million dollar orders. So, yeah, five dollar yeah. orders, really. Yes. <laughs> uh, we, yeah, if, if you just want to buy a cable, you can buy that off. The <laughs> well, I, I want to make sure our listeners caught what what you just said because you know an average hundred fifty thousand dollars, and you do over sixty thousand task orders. So, marketers, if you can just jump in and really start helping and affecting um, helping your company win task orders, you can make an effect, even if you just help five task orders. I mean, that's like a lot of money to your company that wasn't you know, necessarily identified. So that's just the very tip of the iceberg. So I think that those are great stats that you shared with us. Um, Joanne, how does, how does a, an industry person find out about a task order? I mean, is there like taskorder.com? You know, where do they go to find out about task orders? So, so I, I can speak specifically to soup and, and how the, and yes, this is how generally the GWACs work. Um, uh, agencies themselves might have their own special ways of handling a, a contract. Um, but in the case of a soup type contract, what we have is a set of, we go out and we do a competition and um, every few years, um, every 10 years currently. Um, and in our case, um, 140 companies um, were awarded a contract uh, about five years ago. Um, and um, I guess that's going to be six years ago soon. Um, so from those, so the government works directly with those companies to submit requirements through an mm -hmm. RQ process. Um, they then can go out to, to, the, to their industry partners, let them know that there is an order requirement out there and, and it's, it becomes a business to business relationship. So this is different than again, having a contract, mm -hmm. it's different than the schedules. The idea is to have the, the contract holders be that go-between to, to bring out together those products and services that are needed to fulfill a requirement, rather than the government trying to figure out where do I go, you know, who, who do I pick? I, right. I, I, I send this out, I let the business decide 
who can best do that. So it's important for businesses to align themselves um, in multiple ways with the government. I, I tell industry this all the time. Don't don't just find one one channel to to uh, work with the government. Look at all the possible channels. Sometimes it's better to work direct. Get a schedule. Sometimes it's better to have a contract because you're a reseller and you're an integrator. Sometimes it's better to provide orders. So you want to align yourself with multiple contract holders in, in an IDIQ because you want to provide them with the opportunity to be competitive amongst themselves. Yeah. So, so, um, so look at the, don't, don't, don't tie yourself into, I only do one way to get the government. No, I think that's good. I think our listeners, we talk all the time at GMARQU, um, communications, you've got to use multiple channels and, and you're saying the same thing and that's lingo that, that our audience can listen to. So hopefully they are. That's, and all that information is public and they can find it and there's no reason why they're not you know, trying to win them, right? Um, so so the, in terms of the orders, the, for, for an IDIQ, the, the, the orders themselves are not public. So you, mm -hmm. that's why you have to like the, the, who the contract holders are. Um, mm -hmm. and, 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 and we, we provide that. We do provide a help with, to, the, uh, to those who don't have a contract. Um, and um, and we, because of the way we operate, just so everybody's aware, so everybody say, I want a contract. Uh, the contracts are set up to be um, an ability for us to, as a government to go and find a company that can, can handle all the entirety of scope of soup, which is all of information technology, all communications, all audiovisual. If your company cannot provide all of those things through to, to your partners, <laughs> this is not meant yeah. to be, I have an AV piece of equipment. If you have an AV piece of equipment, or if you do AV installation, you don't get a soup contract. You, you get task orders under the soup contract so that, um, so that I can go out and I can buy it, um, do an order for AV equipment plus mm -hmm. a Cisco router at the same time and, and yeah. get it off of one order. No, that makes a lot, that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, let's, um, I'm still kind of peeling back the onion layers a little bit. So Joanne, tell us a little bit more about what you'd like industry to know about task orders um, that might make you know, your life and your team's life a little bit easier. Well, it's important to know that, that, that first of all, um, soup in particular is a very dynamic um, contract vehicle. We add, we have 80, we have 140 companies, which sounds very small but we have 8,200 um, partners, providers of either products or services under those 140 contracts. And we had about five to 20 or so a week, new companies. These are companies who have not yet uh, been, been a part of it. So the fact that, that, that C5 is, exists and the contracts are set doesn't mean that you can't play in the game. And there are okay. other ways to play too. You, if, you, if you are a, a yourself an integrator, you might find a small company that you can work with. Because um, some of our companies are very small with mm -hmm. contract. Um, there are many way, many avenues. It's not always just contractors. And there's opportunity, as you noted, to, to, um, to make money. <laughs> um, you know, we, we are here to keep people from making money. We're here to assist the government in getting their products at a reasonable price. Um, so so work, with, work, work with them. Get on multiple companies, uh, multiple yeah. contracts, and look at their business sizes. Don't just go on SDVRSB co contracts because that will help you with VA, but it may not help you with DOD. Um, right. You may want to have you know, a couple of big SDVRSBs you're working with, a couple of um, uh, small businesses, some um, women-owned small businesses. All of that information is on our website, and we do have a, a team there that, that can help. Um, you just send a note apps, and we'll hook you up with our industry team, and that will help you get started. Joanne, yeah, when do task orders show up? Joanne, when do task orders show up in a forecast or do they show up in forecasts at all? Um, that would depend on the agency and the size. <clears throat> um, for the most part, orders are small enough that they don't, excuse me, who's my voice? <clears throat> um, so Occasionally, um, there's a big enough requirement that might get posted, but with $150,000 as our average size, most orders are, spit, are not public until, you know, at all. And which is why you want to work with contract holders and get that relationship. In, is, the, is the value of the task order um, uh, in soup, is there a maximum value for a task order in soup? And is the value of a task order set by 
the IDIQ itself? Um, there's really no limit. Our, 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 we set up our contract so um, it can be any size, um, any, any small to any large. Um, theoretically, there is a $20 billion limit on an order, but I don't think we have any of those sitting out there. Um, so so we, we set it up so there's no, it's all limited by what the agency wants and needs. Um, as I said, we do have several hundred million dollar requirements out there, um, but for the most part, um, we're, we're dealing with a slightly smaller dollar amount. Um, so, it, and, and the other key point to note is um, for IDIQs, if you're a FAR person, uh, FAR Part 16 is what you want to look at, not FAR Part 8 or, other, or FAR Part 15 or any of those other FAR Parts, it's FAR Part 16. Um, it's, a, it's a very simpler version uh, meant to provide a, a faster acquisition path for the government. So that's another place for uh, industry to make sure you're aware of what the rules are. Um, so um, yeah, check, check out the yeah, part. Very important to follow those rules. And sorry, but we got to take a break. Uh, but we'll be back. So you've been listening to Market Chat, bringing clarity to the clutter in government marketing, brought to you by Government Marketing University on Federal News Network. Government Marketing University is an innovative learning platform that applies a collaborative, community-based approach towards knowledge sharing and skills development in the field of public sector marketing. Experts from all corners of the U.S. public sector marketplace, marketers, thought leaders, government, media, and sales, are contributing their knowledge to this unique, content-rich platform. Government Marketing University offers training, research, certifications, mentoring, and community resources all in one place. Learn more at gmarku.com. Welcome back to Market Chat by Government Marketing University on Federal News Network. I'm Luann Brossman, founder of Government Marketing University, and my co-host today, Stephanie Geiger, who is Senior Vice President at GMarku, is going to lead this next discussion with our esteemed guest, Nate Nash from GovTribe, and he's got lots of great data that he's gonna share with us. So Stephanie, take it away. Thanks, Loanne, and thanks, Nate. I am uh, super excited for this segment. I feel like when Nate and I were chatting about this program, we were kind of nerding out a little bit on the data that we can have access to through GovTribe. And um, so Nate, you know, you went into the database and you got a pretty good subset to basically do some research across some multi-word IDIQs across various agencies, um, industries, and set-asides. And so why don't you talk to us a little bit about what some of those major findings were and the size of the data you were able to pull. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me. Um, in general, we took a look at about 400 multi-award IDIQs across various agencies. Um, these aren't GWACs, these aren't BPAs, these are multi-award IDIQs, typically agency-specific. Um, and we wanted to see whether or not there were any interesting insights or trends with respect to uh, the funding on these particular IDIQs, uh, as well as the number of awards being made, things like that. And our, our baseline was the IDIQ had to have at least four primes, thus multi-awardee, uh, and also a shared ceiling greater than $40 million. Uh, and the range went from 40 million up to uh, hundreds and hundreds of millions and four primes up to hundreds of primes on some of these IDIQs. Um, and what we were really trying to understand was when you get on an IDIQ, um, are there certain events that maybe change on average uh, the outcome of your life cycle on that particular IDIQ? And there were a couple of things that, that, that stood out to me. Uh, one is, the impact of being one of the top funded awardees on a given IDIQ. So one of the things that we found pretty interesting is on average, uh, the three primes that received the most funding on an IDIQ, sort of the top three funded primes, if you will, um, end up receiving 82% of all funding for a given IDIQ. So what does this mean? Well, it gives you an indication that funding on IDIQs is almost never equally split amongst the primes. So if you're thinking about pursuing an IDIQ, and let's say maybe there's 10 expected awardees, um, on average, 82% uh, of the funding is going to go to three of those primes or three of those primes teams. So just again, something to consider when thinking about um, potential value, uh, you know, the estimated funding associated with you winning an IDIQ. To echo an earlier point, it's a fishing license. You got to get out there and catch some fish. Um, and it turns out that 
the people that catch the most fish really catch the most fish uh, over the lifetime of the IDIQ. I think another interesting point is if you're looking to sub uh, to an existing prime or come on to an IDIQ, I think it behooves you to take a look at who's already winning and who's winning the most on a given IDIQ. Um, and by winning, I mean actual obligations, funding against task orders. Um, because if you are able to get on a team with one of the top three, if you will, uh, the likelihood of there being more downstream funding is significantly higher than if you were able to just get on a team um, of someone who happens to be on an IDIQ. And I think that plays into not only your business development strategy, but also to some degree, your marketing strategy. How do you want those primes to know what you can do, why you're great, and why you deserve a spot uh, on one of the uh, the top three teams, if you will. Yeah, it's um, not only about you know making sure that you've got the relationship building happening with the government, but it's also with all those contract awardees as well to make sure that you can understand uh, who you kind of need to saddle up next to and uh, partner with to be able to take advantage of those task orders in the IDIQ. Absolutely. Um, the same concept, interestingly, held true for just pure number of task orders uh, that one or a prime wins on a given IDIQ. So on average, the three primes that win the most task orders on an IDIQ ended up receiving 72% of all task orders. So uh, what this tells you again is that task orders, if there are 10 task orders on a given IDIQ, um, you know, 7.2 of them are going to go to three uh, of the holders of the IDIQ. So again, back to this idea of if you are trying to come on to an IDIQ, um, thinking about not only who's winning the most uh, in terms of dollars, but who's winning the most in terms of number of uh, task orders for a given IDIQ. Um, one other thing that we took a look at, uh, which turned out to be pretty interesting, is we wanted to see the impact of winning the first task order on a given IDIQ. So congratulations, uh, you got onto an IDIQ. Is there an impact of winning the first task order over the lifetime of the expected benefit of a given IDIQ? Uh, and interestingly, on average, the prime that wins the first task order on an IDIQ will go on to receive about 25% of the total funding for a given IDIQ. Um, what does this mean? Winning the first task order is often important. Uh, if you have more than four primes on a given IDIQ, uh, winning that first task order can provide something of an outsized advantage uh, moving forward with respect to winning additional or a larger share of the funding down the line. So it goes back to, again, winning this IDIQ or getting on an IDIQ is really just that first step. I, I would almost see that you would uh, want to ramp up marketing, ramp up that relationship building as soon as the IDIQ is awarded to be able to get that first task order uh, because the data uh, shows that it, it can be or can provide an outsized advantage. Yeah, I would think Judy would almost say beforehand, right? I know as, as marketers, we're always talking about, um, you know, before you're even awarded, you're doing a lot of relationship building, you're doing a lot of marketing so that there's that brand awareness and there's that uh, capabilities understanding, right? Um, and then it's, it's making sure that you're, you know, attractive as a sub or as a prime so that you're, as you're going into some of these relationships, you're, you're top of mind and can be hopefully one of those top percentage people that are capturing you know, more of those. I see you shaking your head, Judy. <laughs> I am it. nodding. I am <laughs> nodding, Stephanie. Because not, I would say not only the marketing, but I'm going to use the S word, sales. Because the data shows, and GovTribe has fabulous data to show not only uh, who is able to and who's ordering off a particular IDIQ now, but if it is not a completely newly created arising on like Venus from the half shell, never been done before vehicle. You can see who uses the predecessor vehicle. They're the ones who are going to be using the new one. You can market to them and build relationships with them and have them all ready so that as soon as you're all set up, they can be charged, are charging right out of the gate and be ready to drop the order on you. Yeah, absolutely. One, uh, one final thing we looked at, and I think this is sort of an open secret that is held uh, amongst folks that go after these IDIQs, is I, we wanted to see what, um, how often does, uh, does an IDIQ actually fund up to its shared ceiling? 
So I, I was in business development years and years ago working for a government contractor, and we would always talk about the shared ceiling as the quote unquote estimated value. Or if we thought there were five primes, you split it by 20%. Um, and that sort of supposes that the government is going to fund all the way up to a given shared ceiling. Um, so across the set that we looked at, only 10% of the IDIQs that we looked at um, funded to 90% or greater of their shared ceiling. So again, when thinking about the value and thinking about the return on investment for some of the activities you may be going after, it behooves you, I think, um, to make them very targeted, use data to guide your decision-making um, because uh, that total uh, ceiling value or that shared ceiling value uh, is often never going to be achieved. So if you're going to get your fish, uh, make sure that you're doing it in a way that um, uh, makes sense uh, and is uh, focused on getting your piece of that pie. Yes, I think the big question is, how can we help the government spend all that money, right? I mean, the ceiling is there for a reason. How can we help them get closer to it? So, you know, marketers, that's our charge with our sales organizations to get proactive and, you know, bring bring those ideas that can be run through task orders to, you know, help uh, get innovative technology in, in the hands of these government agencies. Absolutely. And, you know, conversely, there are also IDIQs in our set where there was zero funding. And it can happen that you win an IDIQ and there are no task orders associated with it. So again, just something to balance when you're looking at um, sort of that uh, the diversification or the diversity of your portfolio of IDIQs that you're on. This is Luann. Why would that be? A zero dollar IDIQ? I'm Do not going to, I won't speak for the government. <laughs> Potentially Judy can offer some insights. Yeah. I would love to get Joanne's take on this as well. There's the idea that the con my my understanding is that contracting officers are under a tremendous amount of pressure to show they shopped, to offer maximum, but he's visibly seen to offer maximum opportunities for industry to participate. Having a lot of vendors on an IDIQ is one way to show, guys, it was out there. The rest was up to you. And so, and sometimes something happens. There's a plan, there's an IDIQ, and then priorities change, funding changes, there, a new administration comes in, an old one goes out, a, a cherished program manager suddenly moves or is no longer part of the agency. Things happen. Anything could happen. And you can't really presume without knowing really what was the specific story with that person, with that agency, with that program. So I think the only thing you can, the only generalization you can make is you can't generalize. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, uh, just to quickly jump in, not to take a lot of your time, but the um, I, I'll tell you that in the early days of soup, when we had eight contract holders, there was one one who, who did no business, for example. And this is not this isn't really talked about that, but it talks to the point that if your industry getting contract doesn't guarantee you anything, they they actually hired a consultant, spent lots of money, and and they had a, a solution that really worked well at Johnson Space Center. And we thought that they this was going to be great, and Johnson Space Center would use them. Johnson Space Center never used them. Well, it turned out that that company never went to Johnson Space Center and told them about themselves. Whoops. They thought, oh, I have a contract, <laughs> so I'm just going to have task orders show up. <laughs> um, you know, and, 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 and the, the IDIQ is only as good as as it as the need of the government being seen as matching industry, and the two have to still communicate. It doesn't just magically happen. Yeah, I think that'd be a fun program, how not to win a task order. <laughs> that would be top of that list. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I think that's definitely an interesting point. I mean, it, I know that uh, Joanne, you guys do such a great job at NASA Soup, making sure that businesses understand how to best take advantage of the vehicles, of the tools, of the resources. Um, so, you know, again, encouraging people to, to do that, right? You know, it's available yeah. to you. So leverage the, the amazing team that you guys have put in place to help businesses be successful with the contracts that they've won. Yes, Judy. I got a question for Nate. Um, I know that um, Joanne talked about a lot of the task orders on NASA Soup. The, uh, if there was 80-20, Joanne, did, were you saying about 80% of them, often they are smaller on Soup. My question for Nate is based on what you're seeing in data. Um, how What's the size range of the value of task orders? This is a big question across government. Task orders can be used for a lot of smaller things. Uh, where does the data show that the value of a task order skews across all IDI crews across government? Oh, Judy, I'm glad you asked because I did look at that. Um, 
And uh, there, the reason it wasn't sort of brought up in this particular um, analysis is it's a pretty even distribution mm. uh, across. Uh, there are very, very few gigantic task orders, and there are very, very few numbers-wise um, sort of tiny task orders. Um, and it does sort of narrow or, you know, sort of bell curve, if you will. Is sort it of multimodal or is it uh, a single a single hump in the curve? It's it's pretty much a single hump in the curve. Just looking at the, the ones that we looked at, and I, I'm pretty confident extrapolating out. Um, but where is where is that middle? That, that one middle standard hump? deviation, where <clears throat> is it? Yeah, for the <clears throat> for the um, for the ID, IDIQs that we looked at, the mean tended to be in kind of the high six figure range. You'd see the 850 to a million dollar the mean tended to hang out around there um and it you know some idiqs uh depending upon sort of the type of work that they're doing can skew very heavily uh, to very very large task orders some idiqs can skew very very heavily to smaller task orders um and i didn't i didn't get enough <clears throat> from the data itself to think of it as a super significant thing to kind of drive your bd strategy around um but I do think it's it's worth taking on taking a look at, and you can do that sort of work um, on GovTribe if you so'd like. What trends are you seeing, Nate? IDIQ use coming, going. <laughs> uh, we continue to see it's about the same clip of what I'll call agency specific IDIQs coming on board. Um, in general, the construction industry has and uh, engineering services, environmental remediation, things like that have always been heavily heavy users of uh, Matox and things like that, which are just a type of IDIQ. Um, but it's interesting you mentioned it every month. So we have about 250,000 eyeballs uh, on GovTribe every single month. And one of the roundups we do is we take a look at what's trending for that given month. Uh, and a couple sort of the top three opportunities that came out in January um one of which is likely i think going to be an idiq um and the second of them might in fact be an idiq but i'll give you the um give you the breakdown the most popular opportunity on GovTribe across 200 and some odd thousand folks um, was a change management and knowledge management support services pre-solicitation posted by uh u.s transportation command uh it's a total small business set aside really saw an outsized amount of uh, interest in that particular uh, opportunity. Another one that's interesting is um, IMCS-5, which is an EPA contract. Uh, again, they're coming out. It's, it's basically kind of docket center libraries, record and digitization stuff. Again, very, very popular uh, across our 200 and some odd thousand eyeballs. And then finally, uh, one that was extremely popular was the industry day uh, announcement for an opportunity that will likely be happening later on this year. And that is for the weather operational effects and information management, sorry, information collection management Intel apps. Uh, and they came out, came out of the army. Um, so again, some use of IDIQs there. Uh, again, we see them running at about the same clip as we have over the past few years. Uh, but in terms of January, those are the three hot ops uh, that people were very, very excited about and very interested in. And with that, we have to take a break. So please stay with us as we continue talking about winning task orders. You are listening to Market Chat, bringing clarity to the clutter in government marketing, brought to you by Government Marketing University on Federal News Network. Government Marketing University is an innovative learning platform that applies a collaborative, community-based approach towards knowledge sharing and skills development in the field of public sector marketing. Experts from all corners of the U.S. public sector marketplace, marketers, thought leaders, government, media, and sales, are contributing their knowledge to this unique, content-rich platform. Government Marketing University offers training, research, certifications, mentoring, and community resources all in one place. Learn more at gmarku.com. Welcome back to Market Chat by Government Marketing University on Federal News Network. This is Luann Brossman. I'm the founder of Government Marketing University, and I'm joined today with my co-host, Stephanie Geiger. She's the Senior Vice President of GMarkU. And Stephanie, I'm learning a lot. How about you? I know. We've had so many great tidbits shared for our marketers today. Really good statistics for our sales and BD guys as they're, and gals as they're going away. But uh, there's still more to learn about task orders. Yes, I think there's a top 10 list coming out of this today. We used to do that. I think it's time to start that again because there's some great tidbits. 
So um, if you've been listening to us, you know that we are talking about how to win task orders, and we have three very esteemed guests with us today. We've got Joanne Wojtek with NASA Soup, Nate Nash with GovTribe, and Judy Bratt with Summit Insight. So um, to kick back in, so Nate, that was really good stats that you gave us. And the one that really hit home with me is the top three primes are getting, what, 82% of the business? That's just crazy. Crazy interesting um, that we can figure out ways to help marketers get that because that was a really interesting stat. How do we help to spread that out a little bit? So um, I have a question for you, Joanne, before we roll back in and, and listen to what Judy has to share with us, who she's got all kinds of great insight. But with what Nate was just sharing, Joanne, what's the um, average soup size? How does that size of the deals fit in with what Nate was saying today? I went back while he was talking and looked at our numbers and um, noticed that they fit in quite quite well with with his statement about the average order size. When you look at the at the larger companies in terms of, of amount of usage through soup, one thing I will note: we have 140 companies. All of them have gotten at least one order, um, which is unusual, and especially with that many companies. Um, and in fact, they almost all of them got them within the first few months of, of soup five, um, got their first order. So um, you, you mentioned how strong we are with them. The other thing that's interesting is we are much more than, it's much more spread out in terms of at least half of them have done a vast amount of, of business through soup. But what's, what's, what I wasn't, I was a little surprised at, I had not looked at before is the average order size. You're talking about the large, larger companies in terms of amount of business, it, it, rather than 150,000, we're really talking closer to 500,000 to up to a million dollars per order for some of these larger businesses. So, so that really fit in with that, that idea of, um, of a $500 to $1 million range. Wow, talk about making or breaking a, a commission. <laughs> Somebody's commission, wow. Thank you for that, Joanne. I'm glad that you were able to zip over during this session and, and get those stats for us. All right, Judy Bratt. So Judy, you've been, you've been around the Beltway and other places for a long time. And we were really excited when you accepted our offer to uh, be one of our guests today because we very much respect your knowledge. And so let's just kind of jump right in. And I think this will be a good lively discussion. Um, so how long, Judy, do you think typically does a vendor have to respond to task orders? Well, you know, I loved your question. And I thought, crap, let me look that up. I dived into <laughs> the because Joanne is right. You can't play the game without the rules. So I went and I looked at my FAR and said, FAR 16.505B4B says, if there's the task orders for more than $6 million. There has to be a reasonable response period. And I go back up one section and it goes to section three. And if it's under the simplified acquisition threshold, there has to be a fair opportunity to submit an offer and have it fairly considered. So this tells me, Joanna's nodding, that the contracting officer has a crap ton, that's a technical term, a truckload of discretion and you need to read the rules that are really specific to the IDIQ you're on and get to know your federal humans because there shouldn't be any surprises when the task order is issued. It's, there's a really good likelihood if the thing is coming out and it's worth anything really significant that you know it's coming. You've talked to the people involved. You should have some idea. And have some idea of how urgent it is and what's coming. So Joanne, I want to throw this back to you. You've been in the chair. I'm not just yeah. making this up. How did I divine? What did I, did I read the tea leaves well? That you use the exact right word. It, it's, it's one of the fun parts of the FAR. In that FAR <laughs> part 16, it says the CEO has extreme, it's not extreme, but something like extreme extraordinary. Extraordinary discretion. This is, it is meant to give the CEO a lot of power to decide these things for them. Now we always, so for Sue, the average order, the average uh, is five days. It used to be three. We, we, as, we, as we added more services into five, three was not enough. So we, we made it to five. What we always tell our, our customers is, look at how long it took you to put your RFQ together. If it took you six months to put your RFQ together, five days is probably not, you know, not enough time. <laughs> uh, you, yeah. you, may, you probably will need a month. A month is an awfully long time. I, I, I would be surprised if there are many uh, that are out there for more than a week or two, and they expect to have responses come in. Um, so yes, you do want to be be ready. That's why it's important to work. I'm going to keep keep pushing. Business to business relationships in the, in, the, in the world of IDIQs and task orders are very important to set up ahead of time and be working with these companies and working with the customer well before they put out the RFQ. 
Exactly. The way I look at it is if you see this perfect thing on Sam.gov or the portal that relates to the vehicle, because Joanne, sometimes the you don't want the whole world chasing task orders and getting distracted when you're not on the vehicle. We're really sorry. Please go away. Um, yeah. So sometimes there'll be a portal or a web page or a service. Only the people like eBuy. You can't get into eBuy if you don't have a GSA schedule. A GSA schedule is, in fact, a specific case of an IDIQ. It's a set a set of terms and conditions, and only the people who are on that are eligible for that pool of business. So similarly, um, if the task order is going to be coming up, you want to be in touch with the people who are authorized to use that vehicle. Because if you see this perfect thing, and there's less than a few days or 30 days to go, and you don't know the buyer, and you don't know the budget, and you don't know the incumbent, and you don't know the history, your odds of winning could be in the single digits. The best thing you can do, if you see one of these things, you go, hey, the most important information you may be able to get is the point of contact. Because it's rare that the thing that's showing that this human, this is the only time in the history of creation they're ever going to be buying this product or this service ever. That It's a clue. It says, ah, one of these. If I want more of this kind of work, I need to find out who is this person. And it takes me back, uh, Luann, the thing we were talking about when, when we were getting ready for this is what I call the players at all the layers. There are in broad terms, when I think about it, to make it a little easier to figure out who is all involved in buying in my niche in the federal arena. You have the folks in contracting. Great. They're the ones who have a power. The president of the United States does not have the legal authority to sign a document that binds that company and that company owner to these United States to deliver that product or service under those terms and conditions. That's contracting. That's the only layer that has that authority. But you have a big bucket of what I call the end user layer. And that can include not just the person sitting at the help desk, but all the way up to the program manager, the person who's responsible for the mission that that product or service is supporting. A lot of people miss building relationships with the end user layer. They're stuck with the consequences of whoever gets the contract word, but they also have a lot to say about defining the requirement that the contracting office put on the street. Is that right, Joanne? Did I get it right? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. You know, one you have, of the things that you just said that I want to make sure our listeners are really paying attention to is, you know, when it's coming, somebody in your company knows when these task orders are coming out. Marketing is not getting that information most of the time. So mm -hmm. marketers, listeners, you need to find out in your company, ask those questions, who is being notified? because that's the type of information that you want to do to make sure that you're really inserting the marketing organization into the sales and the BD organization. You know, we talk a lot at GMARQ about having a seat at the table. Here's a great opportunity for that. And then over time, you're gonna start recognizing the agencies that these are coming out of and the CO offices and where you need to pay attention to. So that was a really um, a good thing that you stated, Judy, is they know it's coming. It's not a surprise. They just need to act on it. Right on. I mean, you've got the sales, you've got the contracting layer, you've got the end user layer. Those are two, um, two layers. You also have, you've got a stakeholder layer that may be the CIO. The CIO is almost never involved in choosing you and certainly not at the task order level. You do need to know who is that person so that when that name gets dropped or someone talks about that person or what they wrote or what they published, you have some clue. Yeah. We talked a lot about earlier, um, you know what the importance for companies to have a process for winning task orders right and so any insight judy you can provide of experience or how you've consulted with clients of yours of how to start to build a process to make sure they're not slipping through the cracks in those task orders i one of the things i would suggest is critical is to know who your players are at all five layers at the beginning so you know who you're wooing and getting to know before the requirements are developed and understand and get to know the players in the contracting layer as well of course the more you're able to fine-tune the actual um, uh, steps that you take to qualify an opportunity first so you're not pumping out proposals to stuff that you can't really do and just going uh, using up a lot of resources uh, and responding to things that you can't win that aren't a good fit uh, is also important. So have a good no go, no go matrix at the very beginning and continue to refine and streamline and make more efficient the process you have for 
uh, mating the intelligence you're picking up in the conversations in the account with what actually goes into your proposal response when you're writing your proposal for your task order. And so continue to refine it. There's lots of folks out there that are expert. And so I would encourage you to not only have a clear process and follow your own process, but go and when you debrief, did we win it? What could we have done better? Look at your process as well. Well, a proposal for a task order, I'm assuming is much smaller than a proposal to win the IDIQ. Is that an accurate statement? I would ask Joanne because she's been on the front line, but it's like a, but I would, it depends on how complicated the task order is, but the things you're asking. And does big... each agency require different things? And Joanne, I'll toss it over to you then. So, because I never really realized until you just said that, Judy, that a proposal is required. I just thought the big proposal is what you do for, to win the IDIQ. And then once you're trying to win task orders, it's more filling out pricing. But it sounds it like it's more depends on the complexity of what it is that the government buyer needs. You can a six million dollar task order and you can have those is going to be a pretty complicated thing. Um, if you Joanne, have what do you say with that? I know you. I can see you. Uh, I was just going to say that we just we just did a uh, we do use other IDIQs. We just did an IDIQ off the alliance. I mean, a task order off the alliance contracts uh, for. Um, it's $20 million a year, I think, or something like that. Yeah, so um, yes, it did require a big proposal and a big, it, it still required okay. a lot of work on both the government and industry side. So the size does matter in terms of, of how big it is. Most of the okay. supporters come in with a, a basic proposal, you know, some technical information, um, and, and, and the goal is to keep it as simple as possible. When you're talking about a million dollars, you probably don't need the full proposal. Um, okay. but, but definitely it's going to be based on, on, again, it's much like how long it takes. If, if it's a, if it, it took us a year to do the, that, that 20, yeah, that large, that's, that's to run wow. the entire soup, soup staff. It's a very large contract. Um, yeah. But uh, but we were able to do it under an IDIQ as task sure. Luann, you talk a lot about the importance of sales and marketing talking to each other. And the marketing is in the middle of GovMark U. So you've got a heart, huge marketing audience here. You have, I really want to encourage people to remember marketing is about helping them find you. Sales is about helping them choose you. And so if you're not offering a shrink wrap software off the shelf thing, and you, somebody will just see your ad and hit the button and buy the thing, you need to have a strong relationship between whoever it is, whether you're a large company or small and who's doing marketing and who's taking that handoff and making the calls and following up and wooing them so that by the time they need what you do, then your contract, you and your team on that IDIQ, you put their hand on the easy button so they just let their hand drop. But you want to be able to have people ready to set you up for the win so that the IDIQ just makes it easier for them to award the work to you because they see you as the low risk choice. You know, we talk a lot about, you know, GMARQ bringing clarity to the clutter. And this is some clutter. So I think there's a lot more discussions. And Stephanie, I think there's might even be a class here because I think there's still a lot that we can teach our, our students at Government Marketing University um, to really understand this process because I, I'm learning stuff today and I thought I knew a lot. I, I know I never know everything, but I'm surely learning a lot. And I think when it comes to these task orders, it goes back to what Nate shared. Nate, you know, the top three primes are winning 82%. It's like, wait, you know, we have a lot of other fish to catch from other companies. So how can we maybe help that? I mean, you know, marketing, like you said, Judy, I think it's good. We identify the people and then sales closes it. But I definitely think there's some more um, some more insight that we can learn and provide back out to our audience for sure on this. Yeah, absolutely. I was writing down blog, training course. <laughs> all of these things, I feel like there's so much more we can dig into that we don't have time for on the program. Oh man, you and I are on the same page as usual. Um, you know, Judy, one of the things that we talked about prior to getting ready for today was really about industry days um, and the use of industry days for the industry. Uh, to learn about task orders and, you know, maybe even hearing from Duran, you know, what should industry be asking? So Judy, what can you say about that? Industry day, show up, show up with smart questions, show up having done the research into um, who has used, if there's a predecessor contract and 
um, for sure show up to get to know who are the other people that you might team with. So those are some of the questions that um, uh, are top of my mind. Joanne, I absolutely would like to know from your point of view, what would you like industry to show up prepared to ask and prepared to tell when they come to an industry day on a, that's launching a big new IDIQ? Well, you're absolutely right. I, I, I understand that there are concerns about sharing in a public forum <laughs> from industry, um, but there are ways to share information to the government. And the government, does, there's this idea too often with industry that government already is, going to, is stuck in their ways. It's going to do it their way. We're stuck in our way because we don't get enough feedback from industry, um, is my view of it. So please provide us feedback. Use, use whatever you can. When we do ours, we, we provide a, and, and within, our, within the task order process, we also provide a Q&A opportunity where, it can, where it's redacted so that the, the Q&A is shared, but not shared with any industry knowledge of who's asked which question. Even when we do our industry day, when we do it at, for the full contract, we, you can set, you know, we allow people to send up you know, uh, index cards or you know, we'll, we'll probably use a more modern method next time. <laughs> so ask those questions. And, and yeah, hopefully think, you know, we'll set it up so that, so that, so that it's not, it's not going to tie you to a specific company, so you're not giving away secrets. But yeah. you, it, communications, especially when it's allowed, use it as best you can. Okay, can we have to leave on those famous words from Joanne Wojtek from NASA Soup, the program director. Ask the right questions. Um, and show up and communicate. So um, I'd like to say thank you to all of our panelists today. Um, we've got Nate Nash, we've got Judy Bratt, and we've got Joanne Wojtek. You guys have been awesome. Stephanie, as always, we have a good time um, doing our radio program. We thank Federal News Network for that. And we appreciate all of our listeners. You have been listening to Market Chat, bringing clarity to the clutter in government marketing, brought to you by Government Marketing University on Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to Market Chat, bringing clarity to the clutter. Sponsored by Government Marketing University on Federal News Network.